Section 17 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. The next morning, preparatory to entering once more upon habitable regions, we made our toilet, that is, we hung a looking-glass on the branch of a tree, and shaved the upper lip and a small part of the chin. At a quarter past seven we started, having eaten up our last fragment. Since we left Gista we had not seen a human being. The country was still desolate and dreary. There was not a breath of air. Hills, mountains, and plains were all barren and stony. But as the sun peeped above the horizon, its beams gladdened the scene of barrenness. For two hours we ascended a barren, stony mountain. Even before this, the desolate frontier had seemed almost an impregnable barrier. But Alvarado had crossed it to penetrate an unknown country, teeming with enemies, and twice a Mexican army has invaded Central America. At half-past ten we reached the top of the mountain, and on a line before us saw the church of Zapolutla, the first village in Mexico. Here our apprehensions revived from want of a passport. Our great object was to reach Comitan and there bide the brunt. Approaching the village we avoided the road that led through the plaza, and, leaving the luggage to get along as it could, hurried through the suburbs, startled some women and children, and before our entry was known at the cabildo we were beyond the village. We rode briskly for about a mile, and then stopped to breathe. An immense weight was removed from our minds, and we welcomed each other to Mexico. Coming in from the desolate frontier, it opened upon us like an old, long-settled, civilized, quiet, and well-governed country. Four hours' ride over an arid and sandy plain brought us to Comitan. Santiago, being a deserter from the Mexican army, afraid of being caught, left us in the suburbs to return alone across the desert we had passed, and we rode into the plaza. In one of the largest houses fronting it lived an American, Part of the front was occupied as a shop, and behind the counter was a man whose face called up the memory of home. I asked him in English if his name was McKinney, and he answered, Si, senor. I put several other questions in English, which he answered in Spanish. The sounds were familiar to him, yet it was some time before he could fully comprehend that he was listening to his native tongue. But when he did, and understood that I was a countryman, it awakened feelings to which he had long been a stranger, and he received us as one in whom absence had only strengthened the links that bound him to his country. Dr. James McKinney, whose unpretending name is in Comitan, transformed to the imposing one of Don Santiago McKinney, was a native of Westmoreland County, Virginia, and went out to Tobasco to pass a winter for the benefit of his health 
and the practice of his profession circumstances induced him to make a journey into the interior and he established himself at ciudad real at the time of the cholera in central america he went to quetzaltenango where he was employed by the government and lived two years on intimate terms with the unfortunate general guzman whom he described as one of the most gentlemanly amiable intelligent and best men in the country he afterward returned to comitan and married a lady of a once rich and powerful family but stripped of a portion of its wealth by a revolution only two years before in the division of what was left the house on the plaza fell to his share and disliking the practice of his profession he abandoned it and took to selling goods like every other stranger in the country by reason of constant wars and revolutions he had become nervous he had none of this feeling when he first arrived and at the time of the first revolution in ciudad real he stood in the plaza looking on when two men were shot down by his side fortunately he took them into a house to dress their wounds and during this time the attacking party forced their way into the plaza and cut down every man in it up to this place we had travelled on the road to mexico here pauling was to leave us and go to the capital palenque lay on our right toward the coast of the atlantic the road dr mckinney described as more frightful than any we had yet travelled and there were other difficulties war was again in our way and while all the rest of mexico was quiet tabasco and yucatan the two points in our journey were in a state of revolution this might have disturbed us greatly but for another difficulty it was necessary to present ourselves at ciudad real three days journey directly out of our road to procure a passport without which we could not travel in any part of the mexican republic and serious as these things were they merged in a third that is the government of mexico had issued a peremptory order to prevent all strangers visiting the ruins of palenque dr mckinney told us of his own knowledge that three belgians sent out on a scientific expedition by the belgian government had gone to ciudad real expressly to ask permission to visit them and had been refused these communications damped somewhat the satisfaction of our arrival in comitan by dr mckinney's advice we presented ourselves immediately to the commandant who had a small garrison of about thirty men well uniformed and equipped and compared with the soldiers of central america giving me a high opinion of the mexican army i showed him my passport and a copy of the government paper of guatemala which fortunately stated that i intended going to campeche to embark for the united states with great courtesy he immediately undertook to relieve us from the necessity of presenting ourselves in person at ciudad real and offered to send a courier to the governor for a passport 
this was a great point but still there would be detention and by his advice we called upon the prefeto who received us with the same courtesy regretted the necessity of embarrassing my movements showed us a copy of the order of the government which was imperative and made no exceptions in favor of special confidential agents he was really anxious however to serve us said he was willing to incur some responsibility and would consult with the commandant we left him with a warm appreciation of the civility and good feeling of the mexican officials and satisfied that whatever might be the result they were disposed to pay great respect to their neighbors of the north the next morning the prefeto sent back the passport with a courteous message that considered me in the same light as if i had come accredited to their own government would be happy to render me every facility in their power and that mexico was open to me to travel which way i pleased thus one great difficulty was removed i recommend all who wish to travel to get an appointment from washington as to the revolutions after having gone through the crash of a central american we were not to be put back by a mexican but the preventative order against visiting the ruins of palenque was not so easily disposed of if we made an application for permission we felt sure of the good disposition of the local authorities but if they had no discretion were bound by imperative orders and obliged to refuse it would be uncourteous and improper to make the attempt at the same time it was discouraging in the teeth of dr mckinney's information to undertake the journey without to be obliged to retrace our steps and make the long journey to the capital to ask permission would be terrible but we learned that the ruins were removed some distance from any habitation we did not believe that in the midst of a formidable revolution the government had any spare soldiers to station there as a guard from what we knew of other ruins we had reason to believe that the place was entirely desolate we might be on the ground before any one knew we were in the neighborhood and then make terms either to remain or evacuate as the case might require and it was worth the risk if we got one day's quiet possession with this uncertain prospect we immediately commenced repairing and making preparations for our journey the comfort of finding ourselves at this distant place in the house of a countryman can hardly be appreciated in dress manner appearance habits and feelings the doctor was as natural as if we had met him at home the only difference was his language which he could not speak connectedly but interlarded it with spanish expressions he moved among the people but he was not of them and the only tie that bound him was a dark-eyed spanish beauty one of the few that i saw in that country for whom a man might forget kindred and home he was anxious to leave the country but was trammelled by a promise made his mother-in-law not to do so during her life he lived however in such constant anxiety that he hoped she would release him 
Comitan, the frontier town of Chiapas, contains a population of about 10,000. It has a superb church and well-filled convent of Dominican friars. The better classes, as in Central America, have dwelling houses in the town and derive their subsistence from the products of their haciendas, which they visit from time to time. It is a place of considerable trade, and has become so by the effect of bad laws, for, in consequence of the heavy duties on regular importations at the Mexican ports of entry, most of the European goods consumed in this region are smuggled in from Belize and Guatemala. The proceeds of confiscations and the perquisites of officers are such an important item of revenue that the officers are vigilant, and the day before we arrived, twenty or thirty mule loads that had been seized were brought into Comitan. But the profits are so large that smuggling is a regular business, and the risk of seizure being considered one of the expenses of carrying it on. The whole community, not excepting the revenue officers, are interested in it, and its effect upon public morals is deplorable. The markets, however, are but poorly supplied, as we found. We sent for a washerwoman, but there was no soap in the town. We wanted our mules shod, but there was only iron enough to shoe one. Buttons for pantaloons, in size, made up for other deficiencies. The want of soap was a deplorable circumstance. For several days we had indulged in the pleasing expectation of having our sheets washed. The reader may perhaps consider us particular, as it was only three weeks since we left Guatemala, but we had slept in wretched cabildos and on the ground, and they had become of a very doubtful color. In time of trouble, however, commend me to the sympathy of a countryman. Don Santiago, alias Dr. McKinney, stood by us in our hour of need, provided us with soap, and our sheets were purified. I have omitted a circumstance which, from the time of our arrival in the country, we had noticed as extraordinary. The horses and mules are never shod, except perhaps a few pleasure horses used for riding about the streets of Guatemala. On the road, however, we were advised, after we had set out, that it was proper to have ours shod, but there was no good blacksmith except at Quetzaltenango, and as we were at that place during a fiesta, he would not work. In crossing long ranges of stony mountains, not one of them suffered except Mr. Catherwood's riding mule, and her hoofs were worn down even with the flesh. Pauling's difficulties were now over. I procured for him a separate passport, and he had before him a clear road to Mexico. But his interest had been awakened. He was loath to leave us, and after a long consultation and deliberation, resolved that he would go with us to Palenque. Chapter 15 Parting, Sotona, a Millionaire, Ocosingo, Ruins, Beginning of the Rainy Season, A Female Guide, Arrival at the Ruins, Stone Figures, 
pyramidal structures, an arch, a stucco ornament, a wooden lintel, a curious cave, buildings, etc., a causeway, more ruins, journey to Palenque, Rio Grande, cascades, succession of villages, a maniac, the Yajalon, Tumbala, a wild place, a scene of grandeur and sublimity, Indian carriers, a steep mountain, San Pedro. On the first of May, with a bustle and confusion like those of May Day at home, we moved out of Don Santiago's house, mounted, and bade him farewell. Doubtless his daily routines have not since been broken by the visit of a countryman, and communication is so difficult that he never hears from home. He charged us with messages to his friend Dr. Coleman, United States Consul at Tabasco, who was then dead, and the reader will perhaps feel for him when I mention that probably a copy of this work, which I intend to send him, will never reach his hands. I must pass over the next stage of our journey, which was through a region less mountainous, but not less solitary than that we had already traversed. The first afternoon we stopped at the Hacienda of Sotona, belonging to a brother-in-law of Don Santiago, in a soft and lovely valley, with a chapel attached, and bell that at evening called the Indian workmen, women, and children to vesper prayers. The next day, at the abode of Padre Solis, a rich old cura, short and broad, living on a fine hacienda, we dined off solid silver dishes, drank out of silver cups, and washed in a silver basin. He had lived at Palenque, talked of candones or unbaptized Indians, and wanted to buy my macho, promising to keep him till he died, and the only thing that relieves me from self-reproach in not securing him such pasture-grounds is the recollection of the padre's weight. At four o'clock on the third day we reached Ocosingo, likewise in a beautiful situation, surrounded by mountains, with a large church, and in the wall of the yard we noticed two sculptured figures from the ruins we proposed to visit, somewhat in the same style as those at Copan. In the center of the square was a magnificent ceiba tree. We rode up to the house of Don Manuel Pasada, the prefect, which, with an old woman servant, we had entirely to ourselves, the family being at his hacienda. The house was a long enclosure with a shed in front and furnished with bedsteads made of reeds split in two and supported on sticks resting in the ground. The alcalde was a mestizo, very civil, and glad to see us, and spoke of the neighboring ruins in the most extravagant terms, but said they were so completely buried in El Monte that it would require a party of men for two or three days to cut away to them, and he laid great stress upon a cave, the mouth of which was completely choked up with stones, and which, communicated by a subterraneous passage with the old city of Palenque, about one hundred and fifty miles distant. He added that if we would wait a few days to make preparations, 
he and all the village would go with us and make a thorough exploration we told him that first we wished to make preliminary observations and he promised us a guide for the next morning that night broke upon us the opening storm of the rainy season peals of crashing thunder reverberated from the mountains lightning illuminated with fearful flashes the darkness of night rain poured like a deluge upon our thatched roof and the worst mountains in the whole road were yet to be crossed all our efforts to anticipate the rainy season had been fruitless in the morning dark clouds still obscured the sky but they fell back and hid themselves before the beams of the rising sun the grass and trees parched by six months drought started into a deeper green and the hills and mountains seemed glad the alcalde i believe vexed at our not being willing to make an immediate affair of exploring the ruins had gone away for the day without sending us any guide and leaving word that all the men were engaged in repairing the church we endeavored to entice one of them away but unsuccessfully returning we found that our piazza was the schoolhouse of the village half a dozen children were sitting on a bench and the schoolmaster half tipsy was educating them that is teaching them to repeat by rote the formal parts of the church service we asked him to help us but he advised us to wait a day or two in that country nothing could be done violente we were excessively vexed at the prospect of losing the day and at the moment when we thought we had nothing left but to submit a little girl came to tell us that a woman on whose hacienda the ruins were was then about going to visit it and offered to escort us her horse was already standing before the door and before our mules were ready she rode over for us we paid our respects gave her a good cigar and lighting all around set out she was a pleasant mestizo and had a son with her a fine lad about fifteen we started at half past nine and after a hot and sultry ride at twenty minutes past eleven reached her rancho it was a mere hut made of poles and plastered with mud but the situation was one of those that warmed us to country life our kind guide sent with us her son and an indian with his machete and in half an hour we were at the ruins soon after leaving the rancho and at nearly a mile distant we saw on a high elevation through openings in the trees growing around it one of the buildings of tonila the indian name in this region for stone houses approaching it we passed on the plain in front two stone figures lying on the ground with the faces upward they were well carved but the characters were somewhat faded by long exposure to the elements although still distinct leaving them we rode on to the foot of a high structure probably a fortress rising in a pyramidal form with five spacious terraces these terraces had all been faced with stone and stuccoed but in many places they were broken and overgrown with grass and shrubs 
taking advantage of one of the broken parts we rode up the first pitch and following the platform of the terrace ascended by another breach to the second and in the same way to the third there we tied our horses and climbed up on foot on the top was a pyramidal structure overgrown with trees supporting the building which we had seen from the plain below among the trees were several wild lemons loaded with fruit and of a very fine flavor which if not brought there by the spaniards must be indigenous the building is fifty feet front and thirty-five feet deep it is constructed of stone and lime and the whole front was once covered with stucco of which part of the cornice and mouldings still remain the entrance is by a doorway ten feet wide which leads into a sort of antechamber on each side of which is a small doorway leading into an apartment ten feet square the walls of these apartments were once covered with stucco which had fallen down part of the roof had given way and the floor was covered with ruins in one of them was the same pitchy substance we had noticed in the sepulchre at copan the roof was formed of stones lapping over in the usual style and forming as near an approach to the arch as was made by the architects of the old world in the back wall of the centre chamber was a doorway of the same size with that in front which led to an apartment without any partitions but in the centre was an oblong enclosure eighteen feet by eleven which was manifestly intended as the most important part of the edifice the door was choked up with ruins to within a few feet of the top but over it and extending along the whole front of the structure was a large stucco ornament which at first impressed us most forcibly by its striking resemblance to the winged globe over the doors of egyptian temples part of this ornament had fallen down and striking the heap of rubbish underneath had rolled beyond the door of entrance we endeavored to roll it back and restore it to its place but it proved too heavy for the strength of four men and a boy the part which remains is represented in the engraving and differs in detail from the winged globe the wings are reversed there is a fragment of a circular ornament which may have been intended for a globe but there are no remains of serpents entwining it there was another surprising feature in this door the lintel was a beam of wood of what species we did not know but our guide said it was of the sapote tree it was so hard that on being struck it rang like metal and perfectly sound without a wormhole or other symptom of decay the surface was smooth and even and from a very close examination we were of the opinion that it must have been trimmed with an instrument of metal the opening under this doorway was what the alcalde had intended as the mouth of the cave that led to palenque and which by the way he had told us was so completely buried in el monte that it would require two days digging and clearing to reach it our guide laughed at the ignorance prevailing in the village in regard to the difficulty of reaching it 
but stoutly maintained the story that it led to Palenque. We could not prevail on him to enter it. A shortcut to Palenque was exactly what we wanted. I took off my coat and, lying down on my breast, began to crawl under. When I had advanced about half the length of my body, I heard a hideous hissing noise, and, starting back, saw a pair of small eyes which in the darkness shone like balls of fire. The precise portion of time that I employed in backing out is not worth mentioning. My companions had heard the noise, and the guide said it was un tigre. I thought it was a wild cat, but whatever it was, we determined to have a shot at it. We took it for granted that the animal would dash past us, and in a few moments our guns and pistols, swords and machetes were ready. Taking our positions, Pauling, standing close against the wall, thrust under a long pole, and with a horrible noise out fluttered a huge turkey buzzard, which flapped itself through the building and took refuge in another chamber. This peril over, I renewed the attempt, and holding a candle before me, quickly discovered the whole extent of the cave that led to Palenque. It was a chamber corresponding with the dimensions given of the outer walls. The floor was encumbered with rubbish two or three feet deep. The walls were covered with stuccoed figures, among which that of a monkey was conspicuous, and against the back wall, among curious and interesting ornaments, were two figures of men in profile, with their faces toward each other, well drawn and as large as life, but the feet concealed by the rubbish on the floor. Mr. Catherwood crawled in to make a drawing of them, but on account of the smoke from the candles, the closeness and excessive heat, it was impossible to remain long enough. In general appearance and character, they were the same as we afterwards saw carved on stone at Palenque. By means of a tree growing close against the wall of this building, I climbed to the top, and saw another edifice very near and on top of a still higher structure. We climbed up to this, and found it of the same general plan, but more dilapidated. Descending, we passed between two other buildings on pyramidal elevations, and came out upon an open table which had probably once been the site of the city. It was protected on all sides by the same high terraces, overlooking for a great distance the whole country round, and rendering it impossible for an enemy to approach from any quarter without being discovered. Across the table was a high and narrow causeway, which seemed partly natural and partly artificial, and at some distance on which was a mound with the foundations of a building that had probably been a tower. Beyond this the causeway extended till it joined a range of mountains. From the few Spanish books within my reach I have not been able to learn anything whatever of the history of this place, whether it existed at the time of the conquest or not. I am inclined to think, however, that it did, and that mention is made of it in some Spanish authors. At all events, there was no place we had seen 
which gave us such an idea of the vastness of the works erected by the aboriginal inhabitants pressed as we were we determined to remain and make a thorough exploration it was nearly dark when we returned to the village immediately we called upon the alcalde but found on the very threshold detention and delay he repeated the schoolmaster's warning that nothing could be done violente it would take two days to get together men and implements and these last of the kind necessary could not be had at all there was not a crowbar in the place but the alcalde said one could be made and in the same breath that there was no iron there was half a blacksmith but no iron nearer than tabasco about eight or ten days journey while we were with him another terrible storm came on we hurried back in the midst of it and determined forthwith to push on to palenque i am strongly of opinion that there is at this place much to reward the future traveller we were told that there were other ruins about ten leagues distant along the same range of mountains and it has additional interest in our eyes from the circumstance that this would be the best point from which to attempt the discovery of the mysterious city seen from the top of the cordilleras End of section seventeen